Welcome to the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, and today we're going to talk about the difference between Russian private military companies and Western private military and security companies. I'm joined today by Dr. Giovanna J. Renito, postdoctoral fellow with the University of Porto, Portugal. Her most recent book is Regulating U.S. Private Security Contractors, published by Palgrave Macmillan in New York. Hello, Giovanna. Hello, Chris. I'm glad and feel privileged that you're able to join us here today. Now, in previous podcasts, I introduced Russian private military companies, also referred to as quasi-mercenary organizations, the tasks they perform, who they work for, and their place in the Russian concept of hybrid warfare. I said that this really isn't anything new, that it's just a variation on a tool that Russia has used throughout its history. I also said that there were counterparts in Western military practice. You might then ask if private military and security companies, or PMSCs, contracted by the U.S. government in Iraq and Afghanistan are really any different than those Russian organizations. After all, wasn't Blackwater contracted by the U.S. State Department to do all the things I said Russian organizations do? Weren't they equally exempt from accountability to the law? Certainly, Russian statements make that point. Academics and media in the West also make that allegation. Dr. Renito, are Western PMSCs like Blackwater or DynCorp different from Russian quasi-mercenary organizations? If so, how? Yes, absolutely. There are significant differences between the companies hired by Western governments, such as the U.S., and those hired by totalitarian regimes. First, they differ in their mission. Western governments contract companies for support functions and never for direct combat. In practice, those quasi-mercenary companies execute those combat tasks and may also execute some tasks that Western PSCs um, would, like armed guards um, to protect facilities, for for instance. Second, companies used by Western governments are organized and established as legal enterprises and have a support structure that guarantee their employees are well-trained and follow national and international laws. After all, that is the only way they will function long-term. Quasi-mercenary companies do not care about longevity of their organizations. If, close, if, if those close, they will quickly set up another. But most importantly, the difference between companies hired, for instance, by the U.S. and those contracted by totalitarian regimes is regarding respect of the human rights and international humanitarian law. Western governments have, um, as one of the of the founding principles protection of the human rights and in conflict zones that is particularly important regarding civilians. Totalitarian regimes do not care much about protecting human rights internally and even less so internationally. In the way they have been using quasi-mercenary companies in Yemen, for instance, I would say their interests and goals would even conflict with protection of the human rights. But how can you say that Western governments and their PMSCs are committed to human rights after events like Nisor Square, where the PSC Blackwater killed over a dozen innocent Iraqi civilians? Although that was a decade ago, many consider that international regulation did not advance much since then. I strongly disagree when considering PSCs as non-combat supportive functions. For one, in 2007, hypothetically speaking, the U.S. could have publicly contracted these companies that did not care much about protection of human rights. Today, that is not possible. And in 2007, PSCs did not have much encouragement to invest in training of their staff regarding the respect of IGL and applying, applying those concepts in their training and their operations. Now, in 2019, 
if they want to be considered a trusted provider and bid for the government contract, they need to respect parameters established in the Montreal document, either as a member of International Code of Conduct Association or be certified for standards by other entities, as it is case with standards like PSC1 or ISCO 18788. We need to stop here and explain these initiatives, as most people may not be familiar with them. I really think that the next podcast will have to be devoted to these initiatives, but for now, it's enough to know that between 2006 and 2008, 18 governments working under the sponsorship of the Swiss government and the International Committee of the Red Cross drafted an international framework covering state responsibility regarding PMSCs. It has the short name of the Montreux document. I don't have time in a 10-minute podcast to explain the full title. Anyway, input included subject matter experts from private security companies, academia, and human rights organizations. After publication, the PSC industry wanted to show its commitment to the good practices of the Montreux document, and, again under Swiss sponsorship with many of the same subject matter experts, an international code of conduct for private security service providers was published in 2010. About the same time, the U.S. Congress directed the Defense Department to develop business and operational standards for PSCs. A committee of about 220 experts from more than 20 countries developed quality management standards, which include the principles and good practices of the Code of Conduct and additional requirements derived from the Montreux document and U.S. regulation. Today, more than 120 companies across the world are in compliance with these standards, including every company contracted by the Department of Defense. To comply with those initiatives, the company needs to assume long-term commitment in adoption and integration of the Montreal principles in their operations. And they are the object of an unannounced audit to confirm that that is the case. Not less important, those changes and certifications are not cheap, so they need to see that as a long-term investment. I need to stress that those companies are not only Western companies. They come from Iraq, Tanzania, Nigeria, Guatemala, Colombia, Philippines, or United Arab Emirates, just to name some. I should also say that not all Western companies comply with those principles, and some certainly are invested only, interested only in short-term profit, and their business missions are not following Montreux ideas of how quality and human rights perspective services should be provided. Therefore, rather than saying Western PMSCs, it might be better to say Montreux-compliant PMSCs. That's a good way to think about it if our real concern is respect for international standards by PMSCs. From what you said, it seems that Russian-aligned organizations take exactly the opposite approach from Montreux-compliant companies. Sergei Sukankin of the Jamestown Institute, among others, suggests that this is a deliberate business strategy. He says they can't compete with Western PMSEs, as, as he wrote, they play by the rules. So their competitive advantage, these Russian PMSEs, is that they don't feel constrained by the political norms of the West, and they're less expensive, at least in the short run. This makes them more attractive to totalitarian regimes with poor human rights records and more effective at propping up those governments. Is this a fair assessment? That sounds right. It is essential to recognize that we are talking about two very distinctive markets. First, the companies who comply with human rights would never seek totalitarian regimes as their target market because they would probably need to abandon those values during their contracts. That may cause them to lose membership in ICOCA or certification, which would jeopardize their image and their capability to seek jobs with Western governments and other clients who want quality and respectful services. 
too, that would be against their business plans, as certifications and memberships are significant financial investment and one-time opportunity would probably not compensate for the loss they would have in the long run. Second, quasi-mercenary companies, they would never contract with Western governments because those companies don't worry about human rights or long-run operations. Their focus is on a short-run missions that do not imply special training and preparation regarding the respect of the human international law. They, to put it bluntly, are not concerned with the legality of their emissions. So we seem to have two models of private military and security services. The one underwent a process of regulation and reform to the point where they can be considered forces for good. Their operations promote openness, transparency, rule of law, and respect for international standards and human rights. On the downside, they are expensive. The other model is less expensive. It's also opaque, operates with disregard for international norms of conduct, and eliminates the distinction between acts proper to armed forces under the laws and customs of war and roles proper to the contractor support described in those same laws and customs. Yes, there is a significant difference between Montreux-complying companies and quasi-mercenary companies. Even though we don't have a hard law that sets a norm how those companies should operate, Montreux-complying companies are regulated to a certain degree. Quasi-mercenary companies are not at all. The trouble is, media see both types of companies as the same thing, and that is dangerous. I notice that this equivalence is also a constant theme in all Russian public statements. And I agree that this perception of moral equivalence is dangerous and must be challenged. One danger is that accepting moral equivalence undermines all of the progress that's been made by Montreux-type PMSCs in the past decade or longer. If Western PMSCs are perceived to operate at the same level as Russian armed groups, then the legitimacy of Montreux-compliant PMSCs will be questioned, along with the legitimacy of U.S., NATO, or even U.N. missions these companies support. Another danger is that the Russian model could become accepted as the new norm, at least throughout the developing world. The commercialization of war would prosper, while respect for the laws and customs of war would diminish. This could even begin to affect the thinking in Western governments and the PMSCs they contract with, encouraging them to move to something more like the Russian model. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Renito. Now, before I wrap up discussion of Russian quasi-mercenary organizations, I need to address the international initiatives and regulations surrounding PMSCs, some of which were mentioned earlier in this podcast. This will be important to understand some of the other threats mercenary-like organizations present and possible approaches to countering their influence. That will be the subject of the next podcast of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Please come back for that.